Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. Hi, Nick. Hi. I noticed that David didn't do his typical um, salutation before he hit yeah, the record button. What's, a, up, what's up with that? I it's, know, a, right? it's a hit or miss thing. He didn't so, give you the bird. He usually does. I, well, yeah. Nick is on, and I wanted to make sure it was a targeted thing. So I was hip to David's game, and I was expecting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I like to I like to drop that at random times. <laughs> If you guys will get it, you guys will laugh at this. I uh, last night I did an open mic, and of course, if, if you've listened to the show before, my uh, my stage name is now Buffalo Hill, um, oh. and, and, and I'm getting and I'm getting to that in a moment. Um, so I play the music from Silence of the Lambs, you know, like where he dances. If you know the scene I'm talking about, yeah. And uh, oh, last, man. last night you- I had my guitar, and I was kind of going back and forth, you know, and doing a little dance, and then while I was playing along, oh, and. Uh, no! During the sound check, you know, and somebody in the audience was like, is that what I think it is? And I'm like, I'm like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> no, you got to go full nine wear the mask next time when you do it. Yeah. And people yeah. will be all creeped out. Yeah. Mask. I just tuck. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Tuck and roll, <laughs> so to speak. So no judging. There's no judgment here. Hey, you dressed up as None. Frank and Furter. I did for years. Oh, I, was dress up. I was a lot better. I was a lot better. <laughs> um, so all right so we all got to talk about our toys we got to yeah, talk about toys nick well nick was showing my my uh my old toy yep <laughs> and Wait. that's how that's how we met that's how i that's yeah. the first time i ever met oh him. that's right yeah. so is that i gotta ask because you you're probably more well-versed in Rivera than even i am at this point is that an r30 or is it a 3012 <laughs> what how do you refer to that <laughs> It's the the model number is a thirty twelve, but the actual model number according to Rivera is R thirty one twelve because it's not a two twelve, it's a one twelve. So R thirty is the it's the R series thirty watts with one twelve inch speaker. So I always called it an R thirty. So yeah, yeah, you'd be correct. Yeah, yeah. So Jim, what do you got? So I've got a Keeley Dark Side. It fell into my bag on the way home. Yeah, And, and I. I couldn't tell it stay. I mean, who's going to leave it on the street? What what attracted you to the dark side? 
<laughs> that, that came out totally, that totally not imperfect. Yeah, that was well. This uh, all right. Well, I kind of that's going to segue into my first segment. It's my my new thing. So let's just jump into it, shall we? Um, no, no. So no. Okay. So I started. <laughs> I started taking lessons. Um, I wanted to improve my technique because I noticed that you know it's getting a little sloppy. Um, as time goes on and I wanted to look at my technique. So I needed a, a, a third or um, third and fourth eye, I suppose, um, to look at my hands and say, hey, what are you doing wrong? Um, so I went in and signed up. We get a discount on lessons as well. So what the heck? And uh, um, I signed up with a guy. He's a he's a um, Nashville uh, recording artist. And he's been on a few records and, you know, stuff we've heard. And um, so I was like, well, this guy, if anybody's going to be able to tell me how bad I'm doing, he's going to be it. And he, and he said to me, he goes, what makes you think you suck? I said, because I've heard you play on the floor and I suck. And he, and he goes, he goes, let me tell you something. We all hear our own mistakes. That's all we hear when we play it. He says, when I hear myself back, I hear my own mistakes all day long. Um, so he had me play some stuff and I played along with him and he, and uh, he gave me four, you know, things to work on. But more or less, he said, you don't suck. He said, but if you want to improve, that's you got to show me what you want to improve. So that's where we went. So when you take lessons, do you prefer to get lessons from someone that's a complete stranger or somebody that you know? Because what I found is that if it's somebody that you've known for years and years, they're kind of afraid to like say, you know what, this is. And I, I've heard this from other people, too, you know, and um, they have somebody that they're friends with or that, you know, they've known for a long time. It's almost as if they're apprehensive to tell you exactly where you suck. Yeah, and that's why I went to a complete. I mean, Sean is a stranger. Other than me knowing his first name, and he comes into the store, gives his lessons, and leaves, and he'll sit and he'll grab one of the new guitars, you know, and play it, see how it sounds. Um, he's a complete and total stranger. I don't even know his last name. That's true. So. I, I just knew that I asked one of the guys, I said, who would you take lessons with? And they said, dude, you want Sean? He's a, he was a first call Nashville guy. He's somebody that people really, you know, go to. And then when I heard him play um, a few of the strats and tellies, I said, yeah, that's the guy. And it's not because, and I told him, I said, I don't want your country feel. That's not why I'm here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against learning some. I just want to improve. And he said, so give me something you want to start with. So we started with ACDC. I was having fun. So when you when you when you take a lesson or when you practice, and I know you've mm -hmm. got a, a big stable of guitars in your collection, do you have mm -hmm. a certain guitar that you prefer to practice on exclusively, or is it the, the flavor of the week? Well, yeah. So I always I played a Strat for years. So believe it or not, I've just kept on. So you can't see it, but I've got a Strat over there, and I've got my Ultra, and I took the Ultra because that's really where I am comfortable. Even though, you know, I. I, I'm going to probably play the Les Paul and the MSG too, but the Ultra Strat was where I went in and and I wanted to be in the most comfort zone when I have somebody telling me how badly I'm doing. Well, you, you never practice the same way again, you know, when you've got the Ultra, right? No, you can't. Yeah. Matter of <laughs> fact, I can't even play the other Fenders now. <laughs> Nicely played. Nicely played. <laughs> Zinger. <It's> like, <laughs> swing, going to miss. So, speaking of Fender. And how we can't play Fender the same again. So how about those lead series? Yeah, that's a 
it's a guitar nobody was really asking for. Um, I, I know they were like they were saying like, oh my god, people want this guitar back, and I don't. No, I think there's definitely a cult audience for him, but that. So from what I've gathered, and I, I'm not going to name names, but I've heard some people that that got to get hands on them at the Nam show, and they were junk. The ones they had on display at Nam were not very good. Yeah. Um, and I don't know whether it was the pickups or the wood or whatever. I didn't really dig into it that deep because I'm not really that interested in them. But um, I kind of feel like that was a cool guitar when PRS wasn't like a thing, you know, when it wasn't everywhere. And now that PRS is out there, it just kind of doesn't make a whole lot of sense. One of the things that depressed me in seeing NAM coverage was the Gibson booth. I always pay particularly close attention to the, to the Gibson booth. And they had a, uh, a red Trini Lopez and a black Trini Lopez. Yeah. They yeah. didn't have the the Pelham blue Trini Lopez, and as an owner of a, I think I've got a '65 Trini Lopez with a neck repair on it. Um, I'm kind of protective of that model. No, I don't want to see it reissued. I want the the old ones to stay the old ones, and the, yeah. the Dave Grohl model is different than the Trini Lopez because of the stop yeah. our tail piece. But sure, um, I was I'm like, at least if they're going to sell new ones, at least sell a Pelham blue one because that the the old '60s ones are, were the rarest of the rare in Pelham blue, and Dave Grohl's buying them all up, so. They're even more rare now. So yeah. um, it would have been cool if they would have released one of those. Yeah, I, I I know those are going for like six grand now, five between five and six in good shape. Obviously, if you have a headstock repair or something, that's probably going to affect the price of it. But I know that like part of the part of the uh, thought process behind them bringing that guitar back is that they're competing with the old models. Yeah. Um, so, so, so yeah, before we before we jump off of the, the lead. So I noticed that just about every YouTube channel got one. So these guys, I mean. I'm not saying we we would get one. We're not nearly big enough, but no, we're not so, a YouTube channel. We're a podcast first and foremost. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, so all these YouTube channels got them, and the thing was that they all they all got them in, and I wasn't impressed with a playthrough from a single one. Even even the Andertons, which they usually can make a set any guitar sound great, I was not impressed with the playthrough at all. What are they? Do you know what the uh, the the new ones are going for? Yeah, they're like six hundred dollars. Yeah, so they're only two hundred dollars. Sure. They're only two hundred dollars cheaper than vintage. Then uh, I'm seeing yeah. like five ninety nine to f between five hundred and five ninety nine. So, so I was right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you can get an an original one starting at eight hundred, and I mean, they obviously they go way up in price, but most of them I'm seeing here on Reverb are around eight hundred bucks. And this is basically the same problem I pointed out with the heavy metal strat. Why would you buy? Why would you buy the the new lead two when you could buy the original one for like two hundred bucks more and have a semi collector's item? Um, it just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I, I I'm a big fan of bringing bringing back like niche guitars and maybe in short limited runs, but I'm not a big fan of doing it and then making it as expensive as they are in the used market. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I mean, yeah. this would have been a cool guitar to bring back maybe in the Squire line or something. Yeah, and they were they were kind of a squire line when it came out originally. Yeah, I don't think they were considered to be like the highline models. Actually, you know what's really funny is I, I don't think anybody over at Fender would ever admit this, but if you look at the pickup loadout and the time period when these guitars debuted, um, it's very clear there's like a little bit of push-pull emulation between them and GNL on these guitars. This was supposed to be a modern take on a Fender. That's that's kind of what it was. And it was the end of CBS too, I think, because uh, – they were they were pushing these out in 1977 to 1983, I want to say. Yeah. So, uh, I think it's 79-ish. But anyway, which models are these? The the lead two, the Fender lead two. The lead two and the lead three. 
Um, there okay. were players that adopt them, though. I adopted them, though. I know. I think. Uh, I'm trying to think who who uh, who is a, a player. I, I think Alan Holdsworth had one. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that before. Player. Yeah, but I don't Alan know. Hort- I can't think of anybody else really. And, the- I, and I, I've seen him in like you know other modern bands too, but uh, they were like a cheap PRS. And what's funny? Well, that's is- what I said. Now that PRS is everywhere, these don't really make a whole lot of sense from from a buying perspective. Yeah, it's just funny that that Corpus Christi, Texas, has a 1980 lead too for five ninety nine ninety nine. If you really wanted one of the old ones, buy one of the old ones. I mean, yeah. the the market for them can't be that big. I don't know. No, it's it's a cult thing, and I think some of the newer co- the the colors they're offering them in now they didn't offer back then. Um, yeah, yeah, the purple definitely. I, I mean, I'll play one. I just don't think that a, a double single coil guitar like that is really going to be my cup of tea. Um, not that I think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. I just think like if you're going to do two single coils, I'd rather have P90s. Yeah. So the the thing that I get a lot whenever I wind like so if I'm winding a Strat set for somebody and I've I've gotten this a lot is a lot of them really don't care about the middle pickup. Yeah. And a lot of them want like a hot bridge and they want a nice uh, a musical neck pickup, not one that's too muddy. And then I'm just like, well, for the neck pickup, we're like, oh, I, I never use the neck pickup. Or, I, no, I'm sorry. They say I never use the middle, the middle pickup. Yeah. And they also have the big complaint that when they pick, the middle pickup gets in the way of their picking. We talked about this a week, or two, a week or two ago. Yeah, yeah we did. Last so, week. Um, I saw a Strat, and it was on a, a winders, uh, pickup winders group on Facebook, that had a, uh, it was a Strat, uh, custom-built Strat that had a pick guard with only one pickup routed out of it and it was the neck pickup. So it was like a blank, a blank strat pick guard with a neck strat neck. Uh, I, in it, I, and, that, and that was it. And I've I'm seen like, that, that before. That's brilliant. That's the Stevie Ray Vaughan model. I was going to say, you know, <laughs> yeah, that would be, I, I gotta be honest. Yeah. If I had a strat of uh, that, if I had it to do, you know how, like a lot of people want the bridge, I would probably just get a neck pickup. If I was to do a, like a, um, like a my own, because you could buy thousands of strats that have got two or one. I would get a strat with a neck pickup and do no you, bridge pickup. Do you know how you find a player that like is not comfortable playing a strat? How's that? You find somebody who doesn't use the bridge pickup. Um, because that's oh, I I'm okay with it. I'm just oh, saying no. if it was uh, well, it was I, a signature model. I have a I have a confession to make. So, um, I'm a strat player through and through. Like I've owned <laughs> dozens of them at this point. Um, and I've got, I've got at least two right now, um, that are like mainstays and I've, I have, I, I'm, I'm going to admit my problem okay. for a long, long Game time. I would have them all the way on the neck pickup and would never, and would never use it any of the other pickup positions. Oh no, I would do that. I would That's definitely that. use it. And when I finally got a good one and I put, I put the, uh, the, I started to get used to the bridge. Like it changed my life. Cause I was like wait a minute, there's another usable position. And I was just so used to like shrill amps and, and a shrill guitar that I was like, this, yeah. is, this sounds terrible. And then, and then all of a sudden I realized like, it's just, it's all about like having a warmer amp and you know, that kind of thing. And it, and it yeah. started working for me. Yeah. That's the one thing, like everybody's playing through like a hot rod deluxe, which is shrill as, is all get out. And they're, everybody's wondering why everybody's using the, the neck pickup. Um, but if you, if you like neck pickups and especially if you like the P90 sound, you should do yourself a favor and find an old 
mid 1960s Gibson ES125 mm-hmm. with yeah. just a one soap bar P90 in the neck, and you think to yourself, that looks so simple. It looks so you know kind of gross and old, but you put that through a Marshall, and that thing will howl, man. I want to. I want a Blues Hawk actually. Quite a bit. Those sound good too, and they're they're good couch guitars. The Blues Hawks, yeah, yeah I saw one. and the Nighthawks, yeah, those are great couch guitars. We had one come in and it went out just as fast. Yeah, yeah. I just, was... I, I just, well, so I kind of feel like I need to get a, I need to get a semi hollow of some sort going because some of the things I'm doing right now, um, and it's just like I want to get a quality one, and I kind of want to get a, another Gibson. So I think the Nighthawk and Blues Hawk are like optimal territory because I can get a '90s one. They wouldn't be that expensive at all, really. Um, yeah, the Epiphone ones are garbage. I wouldn't look yeah, at I'm not even going to touch but, those. Um, yeah, the Gibson ones are good. And there, there's a couple of rare colors where you might think, like, why the heck is that so much money? And it's like some of them, they were actually careful about how many they made of certain colors. Right. So you want to look, look that up, too. I haven't even looked to see what they're going for now. Talk, talk about something while I look it up. Well, I've talked about – yeah, I've talked about that before. I'm definitely going to be in the market for a 2P90 guitar. Um you know, that's something that uh, I want to do later. But right now, um, you know, I'm content with what I have. Except that I added this Keeley Dark Side, which will allow me to get some David are you, Gilmore are you, codes. Are you getting some endorsement or something? Like, I want to see what the Dark Side looks like. Ooh, it's like the, the, the triangle symbol, Dark Side of the Moon. Okay. I figure it's going to be either like a Darth Vader symbol or the or the Pink Floyd symbol. I didn't know. No, it's, it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's supposed to be a Pink Floyd alike pedal so you get the modulation you got modulation on this side and delay if you put it in the middle and then you've got three fuzzes and that sounded good i'm saying yeah so gibson blues hawks for anybody who's interested go for about 775 yeah they're relatively inexpensive so yeah this might be a thing for me yeah um and you know i don't mind having a beat up guitar and like these are old enough that they're basically vintage at this point See, that's what I'm hoping is I'd like to find a player that's got two P90s. I mean, like a beatish player. Well, the one that that I'd like to find because they've got the Nighthawks and the Blues Hawks and the the ones with diamond inlays and the ones with dots and the ones with like the the kind of like floral block inlay. Mm -hmm. And then they've got the one with like the double double parallelograms. I want the one with the double parallelograms, but I'm not sure if that's the the Nighthawk or the Blues Hawk. It's yeah, the, the Nighthawk's got that really odd-looking um, offset humbucker in the bridge. And well, then like a, a mini humbucker or a, a Firebird pickup in the neck. So it would be a Nighthawk or it would be and, – and I'm looking with this double cutaway that looks really cool from 2013. Because um, the Blueshawks are semi-hollow with uh, P90s in them. That's that's the unique feature of the, the Blueshawk in particular. Yeah, I don't think I necessarily need a Blueshawk so much. It's just like uh, the more – I don't know. I'd have to play a Nighthawk. I don't think I've ever played one. I know I've played Blueshawks before, though. You know, I might, regret, I might regret saying this, but the Gibsons from the 90s, that's like a, a semi-golden age of No, Gibson. I know. A lot like, of if you find yourself a, a Nighthawk or a Blueshawk from the mid to late 90s, the, the necks on them just feel great. The action's low. They, the frets work is nice. I mean, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Well, the other the other concern I have is like I could get I could always get a PRS, like a single cut semi-hollow or something like that. And that would fill that. That would scratch that itch for me. So I got to figure out what I'm going to do. In fact, I've actually been eyeing uh, CE uh, semi hollows right now. But uh, I would be nice if I could get a, sev- a seven string semi hollow because I'm out of my mind. Um, 
I don't even know what I would do with a seven string semi hollow guitar. That would probably be like the worst muddiest thing like on earth, but I'm getting to the point where I really want that seven string at times. So, Oh, I think, I think you're going to get shown something here. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. He's just, uh, he's oh. I was shutting off my TV actually. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were, I thought you were grabbing something out of a case and heard click click. And I was like, Oh, no, no, no. That, a well, case and, and, and with Nick, that's not, it wouldn't be a surprise, but, um, a dude, uh, I was going to say, so we're all going to gear fest this year. Yeah. I, I hope to God that you get a booth, Nick. I think that's going to be great. And I will, that would be cool. I, the problem is you won't, you'll have trouble praying me away from it. Um, did you see what happened? Yeah, I did. <laughs> well, there's a couple things that I want to figure out because obviously I'll be selling pickups and obviously I'll be selling them to like half the price of a set of Freelands or Lawlers or, you know, a lot of the other ones that people would normally be getting there. So I'm expecting to sell all of them. Um, what I don't know is, is if I'll have power supplied to that table and if I should bring guitars with my pickups in them for people to actually play. If we could get some sort of low wattage amplifier that we could power off like a, like a small battery of some sort, which I don't know if that's even possible. But I think they've got extension cords they bring out there. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure they do. And I, if I recall, I saw generators out there too. So, yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah. it would like I've got my PV Classic 30 that I heavily modded, and I'll, I'll put that toe to toe with a lot of boutique camps out there, even with the stock speaker in it. So, I mean, I'll have people play my guitar guitars with my pickups and them through that pv classic 30 all and knock people's socks off but but nick word of the wise you might end up being a you may might end up being a dealer of yours before it's over yeah with. then what happens what's that you might end up uh, end up selling them a run of pickups uh because they may want to become a dealer of yours i wouldn't be yeah. surprised they do have some smaller brands over there and uh like sweetwater would want to start selling them this possibility if you had I mean, you don't make a production model that's that's really the thing well, the I guess the thing was is that if, if Sweetwater wanted to to sell a run of pickups that I made, they would tell me what flavor they wanted. They would specify custom for them, and I would just end up making a hundred of them. Yeah, right. of the same. Like that'd be super easy. Yeah, yeah. Just be time consuming. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So you do them all hand hand on one off. I'm gonna spoil something. I got to wine pickups with Nick at uh, Gearfest last year, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna. I'm going to like sell the craft here like really hard because it's everybody thinks that it's just like you think it, they think you could do it like Seymour Duncan did in the early days with a, with a record or something or like a record player or something and just have a spool of wire and just let it wind. And you could probably do that. But there is a lot of craftsmanship that goes into like making a pickup that I don't think people realize just knowing the the right stuff to use for the process. But also like how, how having to deal with things like the wire breaking, like what do you do in that instance and what is the effect of like how you fix it? Because I know we ran into that once where we had to like we had to fix something and I there there are certain concerns that come up with, you know, how much you can fit around the, uh, the bobbin and all that. And I don't think people realize like if you're buying a hand run set of pickups, they are inconsistent, but they're they're inconsistent to a point. But I think that's also what makes them magic. So, you know, that's that's a whole thing. Yeah, and I've I've been doing it in July. I will have been doing this for ten years, and I never realized until Sweetwater last year that I've been so disconnected from the rookie era of winding pickups that I'm just 
telling David, I'm like, well, you can't possibly mess this up because it's just this. And I've got it all. I've got it set up perfect for you. And um, <laughs> when you when, when, when you're feeding the wire on and you pull your hand back like away from the bobbin, that creates more tension. And that's when the wire snaps. And I've just been holding it still and going back and forth for so many yeah. years that I, I forgot that that was something to that's a to, level of, um, it's to a go level against of craftsmanship. I mean, you you have tuned your hands doing it so many times over 10 years and having run through the process enough times that like you have a skill set there that other people don't have. Um, you and, take it for granted when you do it that way. For sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, kudos to you. Cause uh, that was an excellent experience and I, and I may or may not be sitting on those pickups right now. Um, they're actually sitting here on the deck just next to me, I believe. And um, You know, I would, I guess I would open this up to anybody that stays in a room with us at GearFest, and I haven't even really thought about offering this up until now, and I might even regret saying it, but if anybody wants to buy a, a set of pickups from me and they're going to be staying with us at GearFest, I I could bring my winder again if they wanted to wind a set of their own pickups. I'd come up with a price, and right. if somebody wanted the, the experience that David had, um, we could come up with something. That's really uh, cool. I'll have to I'll have to come up with some some parameters as to what what I'm allowing because we can't go too custom with it. But right, right. if everybody wanted a set of humbuckers or something like that, I could make sure I had all the parts and that you yeah. guys could do it yourself. And then I could do the finish work on it to make sure that it all went went together and it worked properly. But as far as winding the bobbins, I can empower you to do that. That was really cool. cool. And I think I think a lot of people uh, may actually take advantage of that. I think it was I think it was an excellent experience just from the how it's made perspective. If you ever watched that show, like just yeah. knowing that. It's not so it much the, I, it's not so much that I made this. It's more the I know what actually goes into making this now, and yeah. it's not like as simple as people make it out to be. Um, yes, it's not as granted. I don't want to say it's like incredibly complex and hard. I just don't right. think that we appreciate the amount of craftsmanship that goes into it. And if you if you go to the to Sweetwater Fest, for example, Gibson has a huge, huge tent and a trailer and everything. Mm -hmm. And they've got um, they've got an inlay station with somebody that works for Gibson Inlay doing the inlay and the fret work. And then they've got a pickup guy that has a winder similar to mine, but it's kind of like a little custom-made one that they do. But if you talk to them long enough, they'll say, well, this isn't what we actually wind pickups on. This is our display model for doing trade shows like this. Right. Like they, they, they do them with a machine with a, a traverse, which is a machine that that guides the wire from left to right on a pattern. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And uh, spoiler alert, I just got a CNC winder that I can actually fool it to actually mimic hand winding. I'm getting into that right now. And as a matter of fact, the run of pickups I make for Sweetwater might actually be the my first run of pickups off of that CNC winder. But it's, oh, it's, cool. it's a matter of getting a machine to to go back and forth as, as your to hand mimic, would. Yeah, to mimic your movements. Yeah. yeah. And so if you can program it to do that, you're you're pretty much the same as where you'd be if you're doing them by hand. Yeah. I've done some CNC programming in the past and I know that um that's not always the the cup of tea to like get it get it to do random stuff. And that's and that's essentially what you're looking at. Is yeah, what I'm what I'm finding with this winder is that it's it's a Chinese winder. I think it was used for like winding alternators or something, but uh, a buddy of mine, Jared Brandon from Brandon Wound Pickups, is kind of a mentor of mine, along with uh, Wolf from Wolf Tone Pickups. And th those guys, you know, they they put food on the table by selling pickups, and I don't like this yeah. is this is a hobby of mine, and I want I want to turn people on and give them a good deal. These guys, they put food on the table with their pickups, and they they're still an open book. 
Um, I had help like find, figuring out how to get the tooling because obviously if you're winding an alternator, you can't slap a pickup bobbin on an alternator. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, I mean, I'd have custom tooling made that that fits onto my CNC winder. And then the programming um, was all in Chinese, you know, and you had to figure out what buttons to push and get it to work. And what I figured out was you have to put the the wire diameter in the machine and the traverse bases the scatter wind off of the wire diameter because the machine wants to lay it on there perfectly. So right. if you lay it on there perfectly, you can make a hotter pickup, but it's not going to be scatter wound or, you know, it's not going to have that, that human error in it that makes the, the, the tone blossom. So right. what you do is you lie to it. You say yeah. that the, the wire is thicker than it is. And <laughs> I, I don't even care if I'm giving away a trade secret because you still have to make the pickup and you still have to make it work. This is only like a very small, like David said, it's a very small part of the process. Right. But if you say that the wire is like five times thicker than it is, the traverse will go back and forth five times faster than it should to make it perfect. Oh. So if you can do that with increments, like like a hundred wines really quick, a thousand wines really slow, you know, if you're, if the, however you do it with your hand um you can mimic that very closely and, and the crazy thing is nick when you're talking about this process i could just totally see like you having recipes that are way more specific than what you can do by hand where you could say i can emulate the pick the same pickup over there i can do something that's extremely close by just knowing that i did that the specific measurements here and there yeah, you can with a CNC winder, you can um, keep like a track record of the pickups you've made and, you know, what program you use to wind it and stuff right. like that. With uh, with hand winding, you're pretty much a victim of your your logs. So like whenever I sell a, uh, a set of pickups, I keep a log. How how many wines each bobbin? What was the start color, the end color? And what, what what wire was used, the thickness of it? What was the insulation on the wire? So if I ever have to go back and repair it, I could go back and duplicate exactly what I did. And if I, if I know the speed and um, I know the, the machine that I wound it on, I can come very close to replicating something that I've already done. And yeah. And, and I, I remember, cause we, we filled out one of those sheets and I remember just thinking like that you would just remake a pickup based on those specs. And I'm going, well, that that's, I guess 50% of the way there, right? Like, you know? Yeah. Well, this, it actually came uh, really early on. There's a guy that, um, he tours locally and uh, he's got a firebird right. and he he's played so many different places. And they said, a lot of people said, what are the pickups in that firebird? Because it sounds really good. And firebird pickups are known for being very shrill and jangly and right. stuff. And he had a very meaty sound. Um, so uh, a lot of people <laughs> were asking for the Neil wind that Neil, like as Neil is the guitar player, they were asking, yeah. Can, can you make me this set of Neil pickups? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, if I can, if I can pull up what I did for him, because I wasn't expecting him to take off. I must have done like five or six sets of those same Firebird pickups for people just because he was out there playing them. Oh, dang. Oh, cool. oh for those who don't know, uh, uh, Nick's dog is in his lap. So that's what you heard sniffing. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of, um, so. Obviously, I did the video. I finally finished recording and recording the video and recording the audio, obviously, at the same time um, for the for the uh, video. That's going to go up. I'm going to have that finished tonight when we get done here. I'm going to start um, editing, which is just a little bit of me cutting, cropping off the ends and cutting and putting a little on bit our, of the middle our, that I putting on our in. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the edge of my seat, too, you guys, because... I'm sending you these pickups 
Um, I test them to make sure they work. I pretty much plug them into a, a dummy jack and then I hit I hit yeah, a guitar yeah. that I have. I hit the strings and then I, I, I just kind of like put the pickup up to it to make sure it sounds yep. and then I ship them out. So uh, aside from the attributes of the of the of the pickup, I don't know how you're gonna like it. I, I remember uh, it's gonna go into one of those um, one of those tele uh, affinities or something yeah. like that. Yep. So I, exactly I, wound it, I, wound it, I wound it with that in mind, but I mean, I don't know if your video is gonna be favorable, if you're gonna be critical, think, of it, if you're gonna compare it to a bare knuckle. I have no idea what you're gonna I think, do. I so. think people are gonna like it, but I have a surprise for everybody, including those. But believe it or not, this is gonna surprise Nick and it's gonna surprise David. Because it took so long for me to get this video done, I'm not just giving away the pickups. I'm giving away the whole guitar. So it's going to go to somebody in Conus. I will pay the shipping in Conus. That means in the continental United States. If you want it outside the continental United States, I just ask you to pay the extra. And I will give the person um, the option that if they want, they can donate it to someone um and i'll give it to that person so um or give it to a um we have two uh, three schools of rock in the area so um it just depends on the person but the, the fact is that it's taken me so long that i'm giving away the guitar so th what you're going to get is a butterscotch uh fender squire affinity but you'll get it with the with the nick bongers pickups already in it they're already wired You'll be able to just pull it out and play away. I'll put the in, um, the uh, originals in there in case you want to ever sell it and keep the bongers pickups. But it's already set up for you. So uh, that um, that's because it took me – I'm not a luthier, so it took me a long time, not just to change things out, but to, to set the bridge up to the, the radius of the fretboard to get the darn – fit strings back into intonation, get everything back to where it was supposed to be. I had a rattle come to find out that the little, little screws in the bridge of the pick, um, the, the, yeah, the bridge, bridge. Um, where the strings go, obviously the saddles that they have two little screws on them. And if one is just a little higher than the other, or just a little lower than the other, they tend to do this when the string is, <laughs> so they actually vibrate. So it's it's very important to get those things even, um, which which took a, a Allen wrench that I, you know an Allen key that I had to find. I was like, oh my god! And so anyway, I found out everything. I put everything together. It, the video is done, so the winner is going to get the guitar, one hundred percent. Yep, and we don't have a date for the for the uh, finalized part of that contest, and uh, we'll probably just do a drawing for that. I would think. Yeah. On that, so on it that. sounds like. Well, David has a newfound respect for winning pickups. Jim has a whole new respect for uh, oh. pickup wiring. Oh, <laughs> I have to you say guys it. are really working hard for the sponsorship. Dude, <laughs> I'm looking at this. I'm looking at these P90s, and these are freaking amazing. I haven't actually had a chance to look at them detail work wise because I look at them in the box. I'm like, yeah, for, you know, you got your conductor and everything. Like, but wow, these look really great. I can't wait to get these installed in something. So I, I happen to really like P90s and that. But having an SG Junior and a Les Paul Junior doesn't doesn't hurt at all. But um, you really um, remember why the the P ninety tone is what Gibson really wanted to do with the humbucker. Yeah. They basically wanted the P ninety tone. Silent P ninety. Yeah, and um, uh, nothing beats a P ninety plugged straight into an amp and just yeah. turning it all up all the way. I mean, it's just 
you know what haunted me, Nick? You came to my house um, recently, and you plugged your uh, your fifties Les Paul Junior with a P ninety into my pedal board into the Kemper, and I had that fuzz pedal on, and that sound I cannot get that damn sound out of my head. I'm like I'm, I've been thinking about it. I'm like, man, if I had that, I would just sit around and play that all day. Like it would turn me into a different player. I wouldn't even be doing the same stuff. Um, yeah, I'm tempted to get a, a Strat pick guard with three P90s cut out of it just so I can have a, a, a steroid Strat with three P90s just to. I got to figure out my situation. I may go because I was trying to figure out like what the best way to do to mount these P90s is. I've got that red uh, Janelle Legacy, which I really like the guitar um, for doing pickup swaps. But I'm kind of thinking maybe I should just go get a Squire only because you can get pick guards for them. And I don't have to have one cut because I already got a quote on mine. It was like 50 bucks to have a pick guard cut for P90s. Yeah, for that price, you could get one of those like Epiphone SL 290s or whatever. Yeah, it almost doesn't make sense. And, be done with it. Um, now, the question I had for you, so because I'm looking at these P90s, these aren't dog gear or anything. So I got to have to figure Well, I guess it's not a question. I just have to figure out how I'm going to mount them. Um, I was talking about putting them, maybe even putting them on cardboard or something like that and then mounting them into the guitar in a, you know, in a non-destructive way. So if that, you've got like heavy duty foam, that's what I was going to say. Like that would be even better. And I do get that stuff because I work in computers and so they get shipped in that. Yeah. Because then like the more you tighten those screws, the lower the, the pickup goes. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it has to go further than that, you can just cut the, cut the foam thinner. But yeah, like a lot of people, if you look at, um, if you look at a telly neck pickup, a lot of times there's that foam between the bottom of the telly neck and the, and the body of the telly. Yeah. Yeah. Not in this one. <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah. like to have air in there. They were so cheap. <laughs> they were so cheap. They wanted to keep the air. <laughs> it's a tone chamber. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 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 yeah. What I'm going to do, and the reason I'm doing this, um, you know, like I said, and I'm going to pay. Like I said, I'll pay the shipping in Conus. Um, I I obviously have access to plenty of boxes, so it'll be packed professionally. You don't have to worry about that. Um, I may even. Um, ship it because we can do this from Guitar Center, which is cool. I can throw it into Guitar Center's pile, and then they tell me how much it was, and they just take it out of my thing. So I can just I can just do it from right from Guitar Center. So um, that way I can do the shipping, um, which is kind of cool. Anyway, um, so that, the reason I mentioned that is because I'm looking at another um, <laughs> another Squire, but you know, like contemporary or something like that. So. And what I'm what I'm thinking is because Nick, I, I mentioned this because if I got the right one, then that P90 thing might be able to come true. So we'll we'll talk when we see each other. Sure. Um, so Jim, have you thought about going to Sweetwater Fest? Oh, I'm going. Fest? He's yeah, going to Beer Fest this year. He's not going to fall off a goddamn stage this time. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not allowed to go yeah. to any open mics for two weeks before. He <laughs> you, you have to live in a bubble with like I'm gonna, walls. Mm -hmm. you, wrap yourself in bubble wrap. If if you Carson. don't show up at Gear Fest, I'm going to come find you. <laughs> like that's how this is going to work. Because yeah. uh, it 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 was a lot of fun. No, yeah, it's going to oh, be yeah. great this year. We got a much bigger. Pool I was so of people jealous. That, we get a much bigger pool of people that are interested in coming. Um, I'm going to actually, so tonight is uh two five. So um, we're actually yeah. doing this episode tonight. It's going to come out. Hopefully if I don't, it'll be tomorrow morning to six. Um, and I want to actually get everybody on board for gear fest and get deposits by the third week of February, which I am. Let me look at my calendar. 
I say third week, but I want to get deposits in hand by the 21st. So that yeah. way I can go ahead and get the Airbnb booked and then I can reimburse people for anything that we, you know, any over that makes that we have and that kind of thing. What's your, what's your high low on the uh, amount of people you think are going to come? Um, if we have to, I've already talked about getting a second Airbnb and we're, we're anywhere between, I would say at minimum four at maximum 10. Okay. So, and I, most of the places won't sleep 10. So that let's max this thing. Let's max this thing out. People come on. Yeah, I'm, we're gonna we're gonna have at least our crew from last year. Um, I don't know if um, everybody's gonna stay in the house this year because I know somebody's bringing guests, um, and we can talk about that after the show. I don't want to talk about that on the show because I don't want anybody to like you know get upset or anything. But um, we got some people that are that are bringing guests and they don't necessarily want to stay in the, the Airbnb, which I totally understand because it is kind of yeah. a, it is kind of a party atmosphere. Well, they can get their own Airbnb then, right? You're not responsible. Yeah, yeah. and that's just basically like come over, jam with us, whatever, and then go home when you're done. Like we don't care. Go go back to your hotel or whatever. Um, The the thing is uh, I I know what that situation is like. I'm playing a gig um, downstate in in Springfield in a couple of weeks, and it's like a music (laughs) festival in this hotel, and they ran out the whole hotel, and and they're like, oh, yeah, you should stay there and whatever. But it's a bunch of like – and I don't want to – like be derogatory about it, but it, it's kind of the, the hippie scene. And I'm like, man, I don't want to be st- like, we play at four 30 in the afternoon. We're three 30 to four 30 in the afternoon. I don't want to be in the hotel, like all night long, people running up and down the halls drunk and like doing all kinds of crazy. Oh, I yeah. want to sleep. Like that's yeah. what I want to do. Exactly. Um, the jam band scene. Everybody's door will be open. Yeah, dude. They're all be like cranking up music and stuff at three o'clock in the morning. And it's, it's going to be a whole thing. So I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm already looking at Airbnb, so this is not a big deal. Like, I'll stay, I'll stay some, somewhere nearby. Well, that, that's in Illinois too, so they they legalized the devil's lettuce. Yeah, yeah, devil so, devil lettuce yeah. Is, uh, is a thing here. Devil. Yeah. When I was, yeah, when I was in uh, <laughs> when I was in Albany and still married in Albany, I was I was up in um, uh, we 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 had a gig at this hotel. It was really fancy. Um, you know, suit tie occasion, and we played, you know, uh, straight up pop hits. But right around, you know, the witching hour, people started to get crazy, and there was a pool. So we're playing poolside, right? And there's a pool, and there's all these balconies around us. People are jumping in the pool, no. like, like, no, don't do that. They're, they're splash, everybody's splashing around. We're, yeah. we're having a blast. Party's over. Half the pool's empty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's just terrified. people floating in the yeah. pool, it's like dead bodies, <laughs> going in the shallow end. Yeah. I wasn't surprised that the, the water was coming up to the point, you know, where it's supposed to be to go through the filters, right? But at some point, it's just people splashing and having a good old time. They were having a blast. Well, anyway, so at the end of the night, where I'm like two, th- two, two thirty, right? We we pack it up. I head into my room. And my wife is there, and one of my guitar or the guitar player who didn't get a room, who was too drunk to drive, she's like, "Yeah, you better let him sleep." So he's in there, and and of course people are partying outside. She goes, "Well, let's just grab a couple drinks and go out to the pool and enjoy." Yeah, you might as well just go hang out at that point. It's like, what the hell? What else are you gonna do? Yeah, it was. We weren't getting any sleep in a room, so we just sat out poolside. Well, we were talking about. So we were talking about my family coming down for this gig, and like. Um, my, my wife and, and I, my, at least my, one of my daughters will be there. Um, and w- just like, I'm like, no, I'm not going to subject them to that. Like, well, cause there's yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of cool stuff to do in Springfield. If you don't know, it's the capital of Illinois. So there's like 
cool museums and uh there's a lot of lincoln related stuff there and Listen. so it's worth it's worth going down there like for an overnight and just kind of hanging out and doing the museum thing and the museum most of the museums are free so um, yeah for the history of it yeah so like I've, I've done it before we were we were down there for other reasons and we stopped by and did the did the whole like museum tour thing so that's what we want to do but um yeah this is the first gig that i've done that's like not that i'm going to have to stay somewhere to do to do it you know what i mean right and it's going to so be a playing, okay go ahead are you playing backing tracks for your gig no this i'll be playing with uh old stumpy that's that's the old stumpy thing okay, so that's cool. my uh country top 40s like jammy thing that we do okay um and then that so you you didn't even know i'd probably join that that thing we, we talked about it on the show a couple times but uh yeah, that's I got that project going, and that that spiraled out of me playing jam tra or backing tracks in, live, and I was doing Purple Haze, and, and somebody put it on Facebook, and then that kind of blew up, and then I got a couple of people actually reached out to me like, "Are you available to like join a band or anything like that?" And so, um, actually, one of them I knew from many many years ago, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll come out and audition," and it really wasn't an audition; it was just basically like an informal like, "Here, here's the songs, learn them," you know, and. It, it's it's worked out really well like i'm i got actually made some money doing it so um i'm not complaining but this is all the stuff that we talked about at gear fest like i need to get out and play more and it's happened yeah it's happened a it's lot funny. i was contacted by a nationally touring uh kiss tribute band they're one of the bigger names out there mm -hmm. i won't i won't say which one but um they basically said that they're the paul stanley character in their band has been with them for like 20 years but they're not always able to make all their gigs so they've got backups and they, they they are wondering if i would ever be interested in being a sub for wow for their paul stanley so um and they they book little gigs throughout the year which are kind of like dress up practices like at small bars and clubs and stuff yeah and they they they, they try out their subs literally at a gig to see if they if they can cut the cheese and then um yeah. and then they're on the the list of people to call so i might be doing that uh pretty soon dude i, 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 I cut the, the, the other day uh enough of you jim <laughs> Uh, having seen having seen your clips and stuff online, like it, that's totally a good thing for you. And I, and yeah, I, yeah, I can't see a chance of them being like, no, we're not going to do this. For some like, reason, yeah. I thought you were to Paul Stanley. and or, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the Ace Frehley, but I found out you were Paul Stanley last time we talked. So Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd prefer to do the Ace, but I can sing and I know all the limericks in between the songs. And well, you have, a, you have a similar speaking voice to him. Do it's I? Always, yeah, it's always important. Um, a lot of people tell me um, about singers that I sound like, and I'm like, "Have you ever seen or heard him speak?" And they're like, "Yeah," and they were like, "Yeah, you do kind of sound like them when you're talking." Now I don't think I sound like them when I talk. Yeah, well, thank God I don't sound like Ace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst sound in the world. It's like nails really? on the chalkboard and drunk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Sounds like a drunken parrot. <laughs> He does too. I'll tell you though, you get you had to laugh at some of those interviews. I remember those interviews. I was on, you know, I was like laughing my butt. I'm like, I remember them. They they played a um. There was a TV show that was kind of like Saturday Night Live. It was called Fridays, and um, it was a short lived thing. Uh, there was a uh, long running sketch. If you ever look up this guy, he's like got, um, he's like a pharmacist, but he's always telling people they can do drugs to take care of things. Just you know, just take a pill. <laughs> Look up a YouTube thing about this pharmacist that says, just take a pill. You'll find out what I'm talking about. And um, uh, what's his face that was on uh, Seinfeld was on it. The guy that used the improper word at a, at a 
thing, Michael something other. Anyway, he was on it, and his sister was on it. Kramer, Cosmo Kramer. Yeah, yeah, but he wasn't—he wasn't Kramer, obviously. But he had a similar yeah. character. It, that character was already built all the way back in the seventies. But anyway, there, if you look up um, Kiss live on Fridays, you'll see um, a YouTube video of them doing that, and they did like rock and roll all night. Um, somewhere out there, there's a video that they were. Ace was so gone. You could you could oh. tell. You could tell. I, I see the 1982 one where the Elder came out, which is like their opera album. Yep. Yeah. I've, I've seen that footage before. Oh god. Yeah, but anyway, they were on a TV show called Fridays. It was. It may have been 8081, but anyway. <clears throat> I think the last time I was on the show, I was showing you guys the LED guitar. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it in action now. It's, yeah, it's finished in. It turns heads, man. Like everybody loves <laughs> oh, it. And it, it's a guitar that I built. It's a it's a guitar fetish, uh single cut Les Paul with one humbucker and a the, the wraparound bridge. Super simple. And then the, the neck is a bolt-on neck. It's the uh the, the guitar fetish uh flying V neck, the arrowhead headstock with the block inlays. And then to make it more ace like I've got the um the 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 Grovers with the pearl uh tuning pegs on because that's what ace had to have and then um, i routed the whole body out put leds in it programmed an arduino chip so when you flip a switch and then i put like a quadcopter battery in it so it could run off the battery and then um a buddy of mine gave me an old demarzio uh, paf that was broken that i had repaired and double cream demarzio uh, <laughs> paf i threw in there for the lead pickup so the thing screams man it's super cool and um Everybody knew it was mad because I'm not the guy that plays it. The ace plays it. <laughs> like you went through, you, you you built this guitar. You don't get to play it on stage. I'm like, no, man, it's part of the show. You know, yeah, it's, it's just I, like I a special effect. You know, it. yeah, it's just like he plays it for New York Groove, and everybody goes nuts. And in in the house, like showing it to you on a webcam, it looks way, 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 way too bright. Like if you looked at it every time you blink, you'd be seeing LEDs in the back of your eyelids, but. In at a show where there's spotlights and a lot of other lights to compete with, it's still bright, but it's not like blinding bright because it's competing with those other lights. But just it's just one of the things that makes being in a band like that really fun because you get to do all these little DIY projects. Yeah, and you do, you guys do the full shebang too. I mean, uh, I knew you were talking about like a dry ice machine or something when we were when we were Sweetwater, yeah. and I just sat there and shook my head. I was like, damn, dude, like you're playing in bars and stuff, right? Like, what's going yeah, on here? Spark. I want to. I want to get cold spark. Sweetwater doesn't have them. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so, I because I, we're talking about performance and stuff, I wanted to talk about something that uh, came up actually at work today in a, in a different conversation. But like KPIs, how do you guys know when you're doing it right? Like, I have a feeling I know what Nick's answer is going to be, but I think it's interesting to hear for the listeners, and then we just kind of go around because I think we all have different ones probably. And I, I guess for, for the Kiss tribute band, it depends who you ask because our bass player always thinks that we do it right, even though the harmonies sound like crap. And he, like, I, I think that when you're in a band, you should be listening to, like, the drums and you should be playing your part. Um, our bass player likes to listen to the whole mix as if as if he's a fan or, like, a spectator. He wants to hear it as if he's listening to it on his headphones. Right. But he always thinks that it sounds good. Um, but, like... Like Jim said with the with the lessons, everybody hears their own mistakes. Uh, for me, when there's a lot, a lot, a lot of people, like for example, we played up in Flint and we almost sold the place out. A lot of national touring artists uh, play at this place at the machine shop. 
there was so many people there. You could not play anything wrong. I mean, yeah, yeah. I made mistakes, but you could just point to one side and then that side would sing. You point to the other side, like you had, like they were eating out of your hands. So even if you played off, you still had a good show. But um, one of the things I like to do is record every show and I, I cut it up and I, I share it privately with the band and I say, this is where we messed up. And uh, we, you always try and better yourselves no matter how many people were there. So on, on New Year's Eve, we played like 50 people. It, there wasn't a whole lot of people for a New Year's Eve show, but we still played it like it was going to be a sold out show. And um, you could tell between the half attended show and the almost sold out show that our mannerisms were different. Uh, the way that we played, the swagger was different. So, I mean, having people come to your shows and advertising it, making sure people come will force you to play better, but it'll also make you, I don't know, it'll make you play better. Um, you'll have a better time and it, it just makes it more worth it. So I think number one is making sure that when you're playing out that it's worth it for you to do and that it's meaningful and that it's meaningful to other people to see you. Because for me, it's, if it's, if it's a, if it's a pleasure for somebody to listen to, it's a pleasure for me to play it. And if, and if there's a disconnect there, that's when you start, you know, screwing up and sounding like crap. Yeah. Jim, do you want to? Oh, by the way, you were right. That, that kiss, uh, it was 1982. You got to remember, yeah. I was in high school. So that's all I remember. Yeah, yeah. I believe in me was the, the thing they're trying to do. Yeah. It's really you know, odd era. Yeah, when you get done, listen to it. Uh, World Without Heroes came off real well on that, um, as, I, as I remember it. I, that, was yeah. my, that was probably the only listenable song for me on The Elder. Oh man, the oath was really good. Yep. And uh, I, and then um, Ace had a song called "Dark Light," which is really good too. Yeah, they did I Oath and uh, World Without Heroes on there, which I thought. Yeah, you should check out "Dark Light" if you like Ace Ace songs. It's a total Ace song. Yeah. So yeah, we were talking about the. Um, so for me, um, it, it's kind of like what Nick was just saying in that most of the most of the places I play. Uh, there's very been very few unless I do it solo. Uh, most of the places I play, we we pack the place. Um, I've been very few gigs where I didn't have a lot of people at the gig, um, and even if they're not paying attention to us, two or three songs in, they are because we play those radio hits. It's just like you, um, you know. No offense to to your band, they are a great band, but you were playing Flint, Michigan, and you were being a Kiss tribute band. I, you went it doesn't in, get any easier than you that. Went the, yeah, and we were the first Kiss tribute to play that place in Flint too, so yeah. it was a big deal. Four, you had four Ace cards in, up your sleeve. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the thing was that had to be amazing. Um, and you had a King High. You had four Aces, King High. I yeah, I can't, I can't imagine the the um, people singing along with you guys. And that's the thing that we we were good at was picking songs that people loved to sing along with. So. Even if I do something solo, but by the second or third song, people are singing. I've unfortunately a solo gig. People don't mind coming up and asking if they can also grab the microphone and sing with me. Yeah. But yeah, you just got to know how to turn the monitor on and the and um, the the, <laughs> the outside off so that nobody hears them. But because um, you never know what they're going to sound like. Seriously, but yeah. We, we played for Outlaw Bikers around the Detroit area, and we'll play their parties, and yeah. nobody's watching the band play. It's like, yeah. We're a full, full Kiss tribute band, and they're, yeah. just, they're partying on their own. We're just the background music. Yeah, yeah. Or, uh, I, I do solo acoustic nights, too. 
So I play like hits from the 70s, 80s, 90s, yep. you know, uh, at, at bars and stuff. And a lot of times they're, I, I play loud enough where they can hear it, but soft enough where they can still talk to each other. Yep. And I try and I'll play like a Prince song on an acoustic or yep. Soundgarden on an acoustic or something like heavy metal on an acoustic. And then you see somebody kind of cock their head and turn and look at you like, is he playing what I think he's playing? That's, yep. And then you, you kind of nod to him like, yes, it yeah. is. And then <laughs> They yeah. put a dollar in your case and, you know, yeah. they're like, so like, that's when you know that you're doing good too. You know, like when you, when you pull a rabbit out of the hat and nobody would have ever expected you were going to play that song, you know, you did your job. Yeah. Better. Like I'll do pumped up kicks or I'll do, um, uh, hemorrhage by uh, fuel, you know, mm-hmm. and people, you know, they're, they're used to that, you know, acoustic opening, but when you get to that, you know, that chorus, you're going in my hands, in my hands, you know, you People are going, oh yeah, that, and they're they're singing along, no matter what I do. I can't hear myself anyway, so I usually back away from the from the microphone. I don't even put any effort into it. I just sing along with them. Yeah. A lot of the pop hits from the '80s and early '90s really uh, survive on acoustic, like anything yep. by the Cars. Yep. Uh, like just what I needed, or yep. um, I remember you by Skid Row. Um, like any like metal ballads. Yep. You know, super awesome on an acoustic. Yep. I used to do Cinderella's. Um, uh, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Um, Can you nail those vocals? Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, what went wrong? Yeah. <laughs> you just got to know how to sing right through your nose. <laughs> you don't use anything else. That guy had so much cocaine going on. <laughs> wow. wow. Or I'll pull. I'll pull out a heart song. You know, I'll do crazy. Oh, and do, God. Heart's really Kuda, good. You know. And I'll sing it straight up. You know, I don't change the, um, I don't change the key. So alone crazy. Is really good. Yeah. Alone. Everything off that album is good. I, I grew up on that stuff. Oh yeah. I want to hear but Nancy Jeff, Wilson. Jeff Leppard. Yep. Um, some sugar on me is good on acoustic. Yep. Um, uh, hysteria. Mm-hmm. By bon Jovi. Yeah. For, yeah. This is, oh, it's really Bon Jovi. Cool you can't miss with a Bon Jovi song. Yeah. But you know, you do that, you just get that she's a little runaway. You know, you just give it that. Yeah. There's some girls like that song. She's a little run. Yeah, but you know, that was Sam Bora singing the falsetto. Don't tell nobody. Yeah. Nobody has to tell I don't think Phil X does that. Yeah, isn't Phil X in his band? Yeah, yeah. And God. and they put him on as a full like full on yeah member. he's a full on member now but the the funny thing he's about the tired the thing the thing about Phil X though is like I I have a hard time giving him any real credibility like I know he's a good guitar player and I know he's obviously gotten into doing the sessions and stuff but then you remember like where he started and you're like I don't know I mean I just well, I have such a hard time buying into it he's he's a cartoon character of himself yeah he is like he's he's kind of meta and if you've ever seen the the hired guns documentary yeah, and yeah, like, it. like and be like the songs that he performed are like so stale and like by the book yeah like yeah. He, he knows the equation to write a good song and then it still doesn't hit the target yeah. and it's it's just odd for me and um like like when i see a, a demo of phil x i kind of know what to expect like the facial expressions yeah. and the nodding and like the fist pumping and stuff. But then I'll see one by Greg Koch. Right. And Greg Koch is like, 
he's going to crack jokes. He's going to be like dry humor. It's going to be like if Monty Python kind of did a, a yep. guitar. Yeah, song. exactly. Like yeah. Each, one is, each one is fresh. Each one you want to see because it's almost like, well, you know, what's what great? Going to say right. this time, you know? Yeah. But like Phil X, it's like, oh, great. Here we go. Another yeah. <laughs> you know exactly what you're going to get. And chances are, yeah. if he's reviewing it, you know what it's going to sound like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, dude. Uh, so Phil X, one thing. But anyway, uh, I want to talk about my KPI because I because I noticed this the other night. So like, I was playing, um, I was playing a, an open mic, and this happened like two weeks in a row. But um, I don't believe open mics are really for the audience. Like, I no, know people no. uh, people think seem to think that like you're going to go to an open mic and there's actually going to be people there who's watching you, and that's like uh, other musicians. Complete, yeah, that's the complete opposite of what actually. Happens. And they're out there like this. Yeah, yeah and clocking you. Well, so. That's my KPI, right? So, like, I'm a musician's musician. Like, I'm doing things that I think musicians would appreciate, but I don't know that necessarily a regular audience does. Um, I try to structure my stuff so they will. That's not really the goal either way. I mean, like, I'm doing what I want to do on my instrument, and that's kind of that's kind of the way I see it. But um, what's for me when I look out the audience, and if I see people that are moving, <laughs> that, that, that's a, that's a big thing. But the other thing is they got their they got their phones out and they're videoing it. And, oh and yeah, it, you had that was, Oh yeah, more than once. That's yeah, super cool. More than once, two or three times actually. And last night, I looked out and I saw three phones, and I was wow. I was like three out of six. That ain't bad. Like <laughs> there's six six performers, three phones up, and then yep. and then we actually had um we had spectators, and the spectators wanted to know what I was using. Um, so wow. that was like a whole other thing. Like guy comes up to me, and he's like, he's like, what brand of guitar is that? And then I sit down and I talked to him for a minute and then he was asking about the Kemper. He's like, how are you getting those sounds? And we just wow. like went through this whole thing. And I was like, you don't even play guitar or maybe you did. Like I wasn't going to ask the question, but. Um, yeah. So do you guys know how much of your listener group actually plays in a band versus just play at home? No, we don't have any statistics like that. Not any real. No, because statistics. For, for anybody listening that does not play in a band, I would highlight and David is totally doing it right i give i give david a lot of credit and this is how i got started with guitar too go to your local open mic night and just put your name on a list again play like the old the 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 song that you know how to play the best and just see what happens because you'll end up talking to other musicians you'll talk to fans um or you'll 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 have a spectator take a video like it's it's the best way to get plugged into your local social network with other musicians and it's a cool experience too and I learned how to sing. Like I would just play guitar at my house and um, I would go to these open mic nights in Green Bay and um, I would play like, I don't know, like Voodoo Travel by Jimi yeah. Hendrix. People are, how come you're not singing? And I'm like, cause I'm too shy. Like, well, everybody's drunk. Nobody cares. Just yell the words. No, like, and then I learned how to sing it literally on stage yeah. at open mic nights. Next thing you know, and it was a hippie bar. Um, they would invite me to, cause they'd have their acoustic and they'd be playing fish or grateful dead or yeah. something. Yep. And they'd be like, Hey man, can you uh, sit in with me? And I'm like, I don't know one of your songs. Like, well, the key is an A and I'll, I'll just nod to you when it's your turn to solo. Yeah. And then, and that's how I learned how to do improv and stuff. And it's how I learned about hippie music or whatever, but everybody was so accepting of you and nobody's going to piss on you. Like everybody's going to, you know, help you, you know, it's a totally cool environment. Yeah. The funny yeah. thing is I, I approached it backwards. So like I knew how to do all those things because I'd played in bands when I was in high school and stuff. And like we weren't the we weren't your typical high school bands. Like we weren't like listening to the radio and then copying those tunes and then getting together as a group and then doing them or like writing music that sounded just like what was on the radio. 
we were we were very much like in tune to just say, okay, so here we got a couple chord changes that we use, and then we had songs that were literally just games. Like we would do things that were that were gamified. So we would know like, okay, so we're gonna start off with this, and then there's gonna be this big drum thing, and then we're just gonna go round robin, and each person gets a little bit to do something, you know. And then yeah, that's like a jam band. Yeah, basically, it's the same yeah. thing as like a jam band. Um, and so we were doing it in a different way because we weren't thinking about it being like a jam band type thing, but that's exactly what we were doing. And uh, now, like getting back in the scene, I'm doing the opposite. I'm like, I'm going and playing actual like static material. And right. I still do the jam stuff. Like, in fact, that's those are the best nights. Um, I've been going to Brower House here locally and they do their open jam and there was nobody there. So it was me, the sound guy and this one drummer. And we would play all night, like like two, three hours at a, at a jam. And it was like 25 minute songs and like just just craziness like that. Nothing was written down. Nothing. We just made it up on the spot. And I think those nights are great. I, because you get to stretch out. Um, but I really feel like just going out and getting in the scene, getting in front of people. Um, the biggest hurdle that anybody who's listening to the show has, if you're, if you're a bedroom player is I, I know that feeling like when you go there and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this works. Like, I really don't know how this is going to happen. You know, what's going to happen here or whatever. And there's a little bit of panic that goes over you. I promise you this. If you do it three times, you will never have that panic again. The, the other thing with this and, you know, everybody knows Jim makes money playing music live, but you know, you've got guitars, you've got amplifiers, you play in your house. Guess what? You can make money playing music for other people. Like you can, you can make like a hundred bucks a night, like playing a solo acoustic show at a bar. You can get free drinks. You can get free food. Like, don't think that you suck. Go out there and make, make a few bucks playing it. And then you can feed our practical guitarist habit of yeah. getting more gear. You can chase the dragon of tone without dipping into your bill funds. And that's, that's the way that I've been doing it ever since I can remember, like none of the money that I spend on gear comes out of my monthly bills. And I know that, you know, musicians never have money anyway, but if you go out and you gig and you make a couple hundred bucks, you can put that towards something. So now you're, you're, you're replenishing. You're almost like a farmer who eats your own vegetables. You know, yeah. like you're you're performing what you're making, and then you're 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 re-upping into your own uh, collection. Of yeah, stuff. for people that are like terrified of the whole like, oh well, I I don't want to play covers because that's the only way I'm going to make money. Um, that's not necessarily true. You just got to find the right way to do it. Like you can't you can't if you're going to play originals, you can't go out and suck at it. Like you have to be really good at it, and you have to know that ahead of time. And I think if you can do those things, you can pull all the pieces together. You can make a little bit of money doing that too. Um, in fact, in my area, what we found out was um, just through conversations with people on um, some of them who actually happen to be show listeners. Um, we thought all the money was in the city growing up. Like that's where you would go to play gigs that would like actually pay decent. And what we're finding out is it's bullshit. It's all out in the burbs. Yeah. If you want to make good money, if, you, if the max money you're going to make in the city for most bands is going to be like four or 500 bucks. Out here, I've heard of gigs that are over a thousand dollars, and I'm like, why would you want to go to the city? It's a big pain in the butt. But the thing is, if you want to play original music, you might want to think about going to the city because there's more places that are like open right. to that. Um, so you just got to kind of play the game, and you got to figure out how it works. So there's there's appropriate stuff for that. Everything. Yeah. That's that's all I'm saying. It's totally rewarding too. I mean, you're going to come home, your ears will be ringing and you'll be laying in bed wide awake thinking, 
what the hell just happened? That was awesome. At eleven thirty at night last night, I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, I cannot sleep. I'm I'm wound up. Um, and I had the KPI last night. Like I said, I had the three people with their phones, yep. and then you get off stage, and then the like literally everyone gives you the pat on the back, but it's not like the lame pat on the back. You know, hey, good job, like whatever. It's like they literally want to talk about what just happened, and and yeah. they, they have like real conversation about it. Um, or, you know, like you close out the night and you do the right song and everybody just kind of like that. You can just feel the energy level drop because, you know, it's just over, you know, um, it's, it's an interesting experience to go through that, that kind of scenario. So that's the other thing is I think, I think knowing the, the local scene is, is a little, a little helpful too, because I know there are some open mic places around here that I wouldn't recommend somebody who's never been on stage would go to. Um, cause it's, they take it like really serious and you may not know all the etiquette. Like you don't just unplug your guitar at the end of the song, you know, or at huh. the end of your set, you have to wait for them to mute the channel on the, you know, the PA. So you're not popping anything. If you're going direct or anything like that, you've got to know those things because otherwise you'll just start, you know, start off ticking people off and you'd really rather not do that. No. So I can say that the feeling is similar, you know, that you've done a good job, like making, Making guitar parts, so making pickups, you send something to somebody and they're like, holy shit, what you did is totally magic. Then you, you feel good and you want to make more pickups. Yeah. And um, it's like everybody kind of wants to chase the high of being on stage. Like you always hear about the rock stars that don't want the party to end. And for me, if I'm not playing or whatever and I'm making guitar parts and like I said, turning people on like that, it's – and again, I'm making, I'm making a little bit of money. Uh, for it with guitar pickups it like pretty much just covers my parts and a little bit for my time but i just reinvested into making guitar pickups because it's making people happy and it you know keeps my fingers from falling off playing guitar too well much. and that's and that's a huge part of it like we were watching and this is gonna sound hilarious but i was actually i i went over to um pick up my daughter and my mother was watching the uh, taylor swift documentaries on netflix and she made a very interesting observation and that was that she is totally uh, taylor swift being the she is totally driven by this sense of accomplishment that she gets when people pat her on the back for good songwriting. And it's, and it's mm -hmm. really funny because it kind of leads into some things that have been said about her, which is that she really has, doesn't have her own personality. She just kind of appropriates what's around her that, that can get her that pat on the back. And it totally fits into that whole paradigm. And I think that's a trap for musicians too. Like we have to be careful about that. I definitely walk away from a show that I've done well, like feeling like feeling rewarded myself more than I'm worried about what's going on with the audience. Like I have to have a takeaway. And if that takeaway is I messed this up um, and I need to do better the next time, then that's the takeaway. Or if the takeaway is like, I played a really good smooth show and like, these are where everything went right. I need to learn something from it. If I don't learn anything from it, then it's not worth it. Does that make sense? Yep. So exactly. Well, going in, it's the mentality. So, I mean, like Madonna reinvents herself all the time and Metallica cut their hair right, off. Right. And, you know, it's and like everybody knows that Megadeth never changed their tone or whatever. They always kind of stay consistent. But I, I think if if bands make a conscious effort to change things just for the sake of changing things, that's disingenuous. But if they've if they're recording at this weird studio and they're influenced by their surroundings, they make an album based off of that, then it comes out something different that they subconsciously didn't know that they were doing. Then that's really cool. Yeah. People definitely um, like when they hear my music, they always come up to me and they tell me like, 
especially if they've heard my like if they if they're regulars, they see me every night. I'm there because um, I go to I go to a lot of the same open mics over and over and over. Um, they will tell me like you didn't play that the same way, and it's and it's kind of funny because it's like no, of course not. That that's not how this song is. This music is structured. Like I have my set areas that I'm gonna that I'm gonna hit. But I try to make it different every single night so it's not boring as hell for me or the audience. Um, and that's – I think that's a, a, an interesting compliment. But I think it also indicates a paradigm of like the – you know, the, the world we live in now where people expect it to be like a record thing and they could buy this record and it will sound just like what you did. Um, but I think – I think uh, what you're saying is absolutely true. Like it, you do definitely get influenced by the – place in which you're like performing or recording something and i think that that's okay i actually encourage that because it i definitely play different at different venues depending on who's there whatever yeah. like i might even select different songs but um definitely i feel like there is that fine line where reinvention for reinvention's sake you know like that's not always necessary i'm not i wasn't insinuating that uh taylor swift has done it for that reason more so, i think more so she's so motivated by this idea that uh that she has to have praise and if she's not being praised then she's like at fault and that's the way that documentary it just not the way it comes off but because my mom and i are completely objective when we when <laughs> we were like watching it from like third party third person point of view we were kind of like looking at the situation going wow she needs like a therapist bad like right now because <laughs> because there's something not congruent here like her she has no real personality she's just uh taking on the personality of others because that's getting her praise essentially. So it's like, she doesn't have her own voice and I'm very conscious of that. I think bands that have their own voice and, and artists that have their own voice in the sense that like you expect that, yeah, there's going to be some variation, but basically it's going to be, you know, contain these composite elements. Um, that's where things get interesting. And that's kind of where I'm trying to be is like, I want to write music that um, has a voice to it. And it's not so scatterbrained that like you can't connect the dots. You know what I mean? So, um, I don't know. It's just food for thought. Like, and as far as the KPI thing is concerned, I, I really feel like, uh, if you're, if you're, if you are playing at home, you probably do have KPIs, meaning, you know, key performance indicators. You're going to, you're going to know like you're getting better or worse. But the thing is, um, music is a performance art and you got to perform it. And if that means it's a recording that you, you know, pass out to people, I guess that's a form of performance, but I mean, um, there's a huge component element there of like how consistent you can be. And I don't think it, re I mean, recording is obviously as consistent as you can possibly get. Cause every time you play, it's always going to be the same, but it's not an indicator of how good you are as a musician. And I guess the, the way that I've generalized people that, that play guitars is that there's basically three kinds of people out there. As far as I'm concerned, one is there's guitar collectors like Richard gear. They own a hundred less Pauls. They don't know how to play. Um, or they're, they, they just like to, they just like to collect guitars. Yeah, they like them. They like know, the way they look. They're, they're homebodies or they're hermits and they, <laughs> they, they maybe know how to drum a couple chords or whatever. Okay. But that's, that's one sector of the three. The other sector is, uh, the musician. Now the musician, it doesn't matter that they play guitar because they can play piano too. They can play the drums too. Like they can make music out of a tin can if that's all they had in front of them. And they're cool with having like one or two guitars, but they might play in five different bands and might not play guitar in any of them. But I still consider them a musician because they they play guitars and multiple instruments. 
And then there's the guitar player, the the dudes that can just play guitar and they, they don't play piano. They don't play drums or they're like, to me, like being a guitar player is not a musician because you're just a, you're, you're a guitar player. And I'm not trying to like minimize it or say that that's bad. I'm saying that it's like their specialty. It's their primary instrument. They might play guitar and sing or something like that. But um, I, I say that in contrast to somebody who um, is a bass player, because a lot of bass players hate the bass players that play guitar too. Yeah. Cause the style is different. Yeah. And they kind of load the fact like, yeah, pe- people that play guitar can just jump on a bass and think that this, but no, it's, no, it's I not hate the it. same. I don't want to do it. And, <laughs> I'm terrified. Uh, and back to my point, a musician could delineate the playing style between playing a bass and playing a guitar. Sure. A guitar player cannot. So, um, and it, it doesn't really matter which one, if you're listening, it doesn't really matter which one of those three distinctions that I would silo you into, but if you are a musician or if you are a guitar player, get out there and play, make some money, play for more people than your cats and dogs at home. Um, go to an open mic, get yourself a gig, have some yeah, fun. Yeah, well, and then the other thing is we have, you know, we have this thing where people are claiming that guitar music is dying. Like, there's a hell of a lot of guitar players out there. And there are more guitar players than there are people sitting in front of sequencers and creating all this electronic dance music. Like, I Shakira. get out there and play, you know? Shakira played guitar. She, did you see can her fire? Can we not talk about that? Can we not talk about the whole thing? Like that's just going to lead down a whole other conversation of things that I don't want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're saying that women are the future of guitar playing and that, that really doesn't, you know, what's funny. All. all right. We are going to talk about that part of it. Cause you know what Fender said? So Fender last year announced that they were going to come to, to winter Nam and they were going to launch the most feminine, like female signature guitars they had ever done in their entire lineup. How many did they I launch? See any. None. Zero. Zero. They launched zero. And I, I honestly, nobody said anything about this. And that's just the Fender fanboyism that's going on right now. Like that company can do no wrong. They can sit there and say something and then not follow up on it. Nobody says anything. Nobody cares. I think well, Fenders are more women ergonomic than gibsons oh i would certainly agree i'm just saying that like they made a promise that they were going to be more open towards women and that they were going to do this whole thing and this push to like attract women buyers and stuff they didn't do it are you are you guys getting any weird sound on the audio no no, no. i i probably have to drop out and come back in right that's fine you can do that Nick, you and I can talk about how bad Jim is. Well, he's gone. <laughs> What's up with that Jim yeah, guy? Yeah, what's his problem? <laughs> like dropping off the call and all this. Like, um, man. So I don't know. Like, uh, I was I was just trying to like touch touch the uh, the feminine the feminist thing, and like there was something else that went on this week that was that I that I had a moment on, and I was like, wait a minute, how is that? that- Demi Lovato at the uh, the Grammy Award. She played a guitar. She played piano and she stood up, strapped on a guitar and played yeah. guitar. Totally impressive. Who was I? Uh, no, the one I was thinking of. Um, there were, okay, so I, I do want to talk about the Amp Builders video because I don't think we talked about that, Jim, right? Where they were talking about modeling. The, the Amp Builders are modeling. Okay, so no. there's this video circulating right now. Red Shoal released. Um, and I mentioned it in the group. I, I was actually going to kind of put it off and we're going to talk about it next episode because Nick's on night. But I think it actually it's better that he's here. Um, so Joe Morgan does this video with Red Shull and there's three other um, builders. And I don't recall who they all are. And it's really not all important because I'm going to focus on Joe, Joe Morgan. 
because his his arguments were the were the most inflammatory. And uh, I have some other information that wasn't shared in the group about that conversation. But th- basically, he says, you know, what do you think the the role of uh, tube amps is along with um, guitar modeling products? And of course, Joe Morgan, being uh, purveyor of Morgan amps, um, says that there's really no comparison. Um, he says that obviously the modeling devices are um, more convenient, but ultimately, and he gives this really like crude um, analogy about um, it's not he he I, does he say pornography or does he say I don't remember exactly what he said, Jim. Yes, it yeah, was, and it, it was wasn't. So I mentioned to Jim, I th- I felt it was sexist, but on second on second listen, like I didn't really think it was necessarily sexist, but I think that there was definitely some sexist overtones to it. And um, but anyway, the the real conversation here and that I want to take away from this is like people would and and I and look, I'm not going to play what I said I was going to do in the group and say like one is superior to the other because I I really don't believe that. I think that whatever works for you works for you, but um in in this particular instance. Like I look at this video and I go, nobody's asking the question of who Joe Morgan is and why his opinion would matter. And not and not yeah. because he's a builder, but because he's a builder, right? He he makes his livelihood off of building tube amps. Of course he's gonna say that these are always gonna be superior. Yeah, why would he put himself out of exactly. Business? And then I would not expect anything less from the other two builders that were in the video. And I think one of them was actually pretty pro modeling. He was like, Well, if that's your you know, if that works for you, um, which is kind of my opinion. Um, believe me, I, I can tell, I can tell everybody who listens to the show. If you want to talk to somebody who knows kind of like my opinions on this stuff, you can talk to Jeff Biesiadecki. Like we talk all the time about it because he and I are both kind of like on the fence about like modeling products and that kind of thing. And, uh, we both think that like, there's a lot of potential there, but we both use it for convenience. Um, I keep my two amps. I have my, my Mark five 25. Um, I don't really own anything else and haven't owned anything else since I bought um, that amp that I felt was like good enough to keep around. Um, I've had, you know, since that, since I bought that, I had a PRS Sanzera 50. I had a Knucklehead 100 that I got from, from Nick, um, which was a great amp, by the way. Um, and uh, th- those amps were just not, they were not convenient for me. So it didn't make any sense to keep them. Um, so I, you know, I had a Princeton, um, which didn't really sit well with me. And some other stuff um, that happened in a time period, but the the point is that uh, you know you hear some of the, some of these comments coming out of these builders' mouths, and people need to think about it. Like you need to think about what you're what you're listening to, and if you think that somebody like Joe Morgan isn't making enough money to put food on his table, um, and that he's going to sell himself down the river, I think you're I think you're you know you're reading the situation wrong. I I don't think Joe Morgan has to put down. Uh, anything i don't think selling amps because there are enough uh you know cork sniffers that are going to keep buying morgan amplifiers they're not going to stop just because there's a kemper or or well the next best then how do you explain bruce agnator's behavior bruce agnator okay i'm gonna i'm gonna say something that's gonna it's gonna pop some some people's uh, opinions. Bruce Agnator amps. The people I know, I'm not, are I'm not, not really big Agnator, fans of like Agnator, Agnator specifically. So Agnator amps is one thing, and but he's he time. runs Synergy. Like he is a, a design engineer for Synergy. Yeah, and Synergy is a um, now that is a different thing. Yep, That's a different same dude. 
Now, Synergy, that's the um, now that's the same guy, but it falls in line with what we're talking about with modeling. It's not totally modeling. It's not totally so the other way. What happened with Bruce Agnator, if you guys, because you may remember like many episodes ago, um, I had a conversation with Bruce Agnator in, in a Facebook group where he basically showed up in a Kemper group and he was mm -hmm. like, you guys know you don't need a Kemper, right? Like you could get by with just two tones in one of my Synergy modules and this would be perfect. And he was basically doing a hard sell inside of enemy territory. And, awesome. and I saw this as like, yeah, honestly, Nick, when I when I saw him do this, I just went, wow, that's desperation. Because it's like mm -hmm. my product is not selling and now I have to feel like I have to go and like argue with people that have something else. I just felt Yeah. It, it felt weird. so um I somebody was interviewing John Mayer about this because everybody knows that he's got a crap ton of vintage amps, amps. you know, he's got the um he has plenty of unobtainium. <laughs> yeah, he's got all the impossible amps. J-Bots, Dumbles, Trainwrecks. Dumbles, all that yeah. stuff. But he said that you can't possibly go into a studio and be a session player and walk in with one of your vintage tubes amps and expect to crank it up all the way and have them mic it properly. Because all of the studios and all the sound engineers want you to use their sims or their programs or their, or their amps um their amps because that's what they're good at and if you are you know mr mr big name big shot and you say no i insist on you miking my tube amp then they're gonna get all huffy and they're not gonna know how to number one they're not gonna know how to mic your amp and they're, correctly and they're, not, they're gonna not gonna do it correctly because they're just pissed yeah, and yeah, and then they're you disrespected their gear, you disrespected their craft, and then they're they're not only not going to physically be able to do it, but out of their attitude, they're not going to want to do it for you to make you sound good anyway. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it all depends on the application. Yeah. Um, I was watching. So there's some like Kemper promotional material out there, um, and I've seen stuff, similar stuff with the Helix and things like that, where guys have gone like, "Yeah, we have you know this wall of amps in our studio." And they're all mic'd up and they're ready to go. And so basically what we do is like we bring somebody in. And in the case of the Kemper, like we bring somebody in and then we pick what they want to use for the record. And they might have like two or three tones they pick. And then the first thing we do is we create those tones and then we profile them. And we actually use the profiles of the sounds that they created with real amps to make the record. Yeah. Because if we have to do punch-ins, you know, or anything like that, like we have that exact same tone that we can recall at the push of a button. And that's cool. That's a really good use of this technology that I think a lot of people probably um, miss, you know, or like don't don't realize it's a thing. Um, I, I've also seen a video where people were talking about using the Helix and then just running the, the amp simulation side of it with no uh, uh, cabinet modeling, running it out to their real cabs in the studio through like a crown power amp or something that's completely neutral and clean. So it's just basically the amp model going into a cabinet. And then they have, you know, their microphone set up so they can, you know, it's like having 20 amp heads or 30 amp heads that they can, they can pick and choose. Through. Yeah. And then they can save them I'm, and recall them at a moment's notice. Yeah. I'm not sure if, like, if Jim's been in the studio and you can attest to your uh, experience, but when, when I went in the studio, we kind of insisted on using our amps. They wanted us to plug our electric guitar dry into the board and record using their Sims. And then they said that if, um, if we insisted that the uh, that the amps were like our band's tone, that they could go dry out from the board 
and it yeah, reamps and they could like, yeah. And they just reamp it. And, um, that it took a lot of the feel away, um, from the, when you're recording dry or recording using their Sims with headphones on, um, playing to a click or playing to the, cause we record the drums first and then re retrack everything over the drums. It just, it just took a lot of the feel away and it wasn't as wholesome. I thought as of an experience. I, I could, so uh, can yeah. I, can yeah. I step in? So the, the only time I had that, what they did was the tip, the guitar went into yeah, a direct box, box uh, like a, like a direct box. Right. And then they took one output of the direct box. Yeah. It's dry <laughs> over here. One output of the direct box. I'm scratching my back. Folks. Um, one output of the direct box into the board. And then they mic the cabinet. And that way they could do either way. Yeah. They were able to, to, um, well, when I was in wanted. college, we were doing I, – I took a lot of recording science courses, and we did that a lot where we would have a direct box and split the signal. So we would capture basically clean guitar, and then that way the performer could hear like the distorted electric guitar, and then we could reamp and make sure it fit the track better. Yep. Because the reality is nowadays right. um, we don't record the way we used to, which was you know you, you, press, you print everything. So – Van Halen one right. was done that way. They printed all that crazy guitar madness that was going on. And all those pedals were like, you know, done, you know, yes. as literally pedals on the floor. Whereas today they want to do it in such a way that they can go back and make corrections or that, that when they hand it off to a mix engineer, that the tracks are pretty flat, but they all sit well together so that he doesn't have his hard job to like try and figure it out. And he can somehow make it sound better through that, through that process because it's more neutral. Yeah. Um, it, but it just doesn't make sense that they wouldn't let you put a they want a, amp in the room. The they want the performer to work really hard in the studio. Like that's what yeah. I'm finding as as time's gone on. Like more and more articles and stuff, and more and more stories I've heard from local musicians and studios and stuff. It seems like nowadays the the musician, it, like getting the good performance out of the musician, isn't as important. Like they'll just make you do twenty takes, and then you'll just burn up all the time doing takes rather than what they really what you really should be spending the money on which is the mixing which which is something that that yeah. boggles my mind like so if i go in with a full band right i and i heard this story from from a friend of mine he went he went into a, a local like project studio so it was out of this guy's house with his band there was four four members and they wanted him to track like so they would they come in and they wanted the drummer to track his drum parts and in, in in a vacuum right and then they were going to have the bass player come in and do his parts and then they wanted to put the guitar and vocal on top and so none of these guys were supposed to be in the room at the same time they were doing it. And I'm going, how much are you paying? Because you're just killing – for one thing, you're killing the vibe. So in order for you to do that, you have to record everything to a click. Everybody has to know their parts ex like like to a T. But on top of that, you're going to suck all the life out of that music by doing that. Like I, we had um, – I think it's um, Stephen Miller on the show. And he talks about doing that for metal. Um, they do a lot of, you know, click recording, but I can't imagine making like a Led Zeppelin style record with a click track. That would just be, it would just be stupid. Like you would just be shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. From what I've heard, like, well, like when I, we recorded our stroller coaster EP, it was all, uh, all original music. You can look it up on, on YouTube Good stroller stuff. coaster. Um, we recorded at, uh, the same place in Detroit that Cedar recorded one of their albums on um right when like the singer was dating amy lee of evanescence okay. um but yeah like the call me when you're sober it was because the singer of see was uh calling amy lee drunk from the same studio that we were recording at. 
but that's a, that's a complete side story. But so what, what they wanted us to do, because they, they specialize in heavy metal and we were like a, a pop punk kind of a nerdy Weezer kind yeah. of band. They, they had a live room. They, they just gave the click to the drummer. Yep. We recorded the song live. And um, the only thing they mic'd up was the drum set, but there was bleed obviously from, uh, from the everything else in the band. And then, um, and then we recorded all of the, the, the bass was next. And then the guitars were next and the vocals were last over the drums. And I think what, what the sound engineer did was he took the drum, the drum mics and he has a sample drums. Yeah, he just he likes a lot. Yep, he re- replaced every single kick with a with a MIDI kick and replaced every time with it, like quantized it. And then like because we, we went off and had dinner or something. He's like, Yeah, come back in an hour, I'll fix the drums. <laughs> and uh so then we, we we came back, we did the bass, we tracked the the rhythm guitars. I had to double my rhythm tracks and I, I got those in a fairly low amount of takes. And then the leads over that and then the vocals. So, I mean, it, it was a pretty interesting process. If you've never been recording, it's way different than playing live. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's all about repeatability. And that's a huge, like, yeah. I, I can't, st- if you're going to do it, like, the, the best thing you can do is find an engineer in a studio setup that, like, matches how you want to do it. Because you can definitely find people that will want you to do it in a vacuum. And they'll, and they'll correct everything. Um, and you'll find people that are like, no, we're just going to get takes. We're going to sit here and going to do like 30 takes until you get it right. Um, yeah. I mean, some people just record the live room and they, re- they mic everything and they don't care about the bleed and everything is just what it is. Like, that's what they did. You that's know, what the jazz old days, records like Chester, are. I mean, yeah, chess records. I mean, they recorded the live session in a quiet studio room and they, they mastered In some that. cases, they're really they're literally using two microphones. I mean, it's it's nuts. And it, some of those records would shock you, which ones they that were. Um, those were good musicians. Yeah, well, that's that was what I was just going to say. So, like, if you're going to go into a room and you're going to do that, I think any band can do it, but they got to be well rehearsed. Um, and I've also heard of bands like so Queen did a record. They did the jazz record, and they were talking about the liner notes how they were actually dropping in the whole the whole band in some places. So like they did almost everything live and it was like, well, we screwed up this, you know, this one chorus. So we'll just start like a measure before and then drop in. And, and I, I mean, I can't imagine doing that as a whole band, but like you said, if you got the drummer and a click track, you just leave him on the click track the whole time and you just keep doing takes until you get it. And then you just splice those takes together. You also have to hope that your drummer can play to it. Well, that's it. Because that's not something they're used to doing no. either. They're used to getting the adrenaline of the vocals or the guitar players and songs can I speed up and slow down. I can't tell you how many drummers I've played with at like these open mics and stuff where they're they're rushing like really bad. And I as a guitar player should not be the one telling you you're rushing. Like that's hilarious to me. When I turn around and I'm like, what the hell? Like I just kind of shake my head because I'm like, what's going on here? And and I, I growing up, I was never that dude. Like I had horrible rhythm. But now I've played enough that like I can tell when people are rushing or when people are like slowing down. You can, you know, you can kind of adjust for it. Um, but in a studio scenario, you can't do that. Like you have to be able to play to a click if you're going to do that. Oh man, with with the Kiss band, we you hit a shot of adrenaline. Oh yeah, and the next thing it's like you know, 10, like ten to fifteen ace, beats moving it faster. Yeah, yeah, like like he can't play the solo. He goes, you guys are. He goes, I I can tell when I can't play the solo that you guys are playing the song way too fast, <laughs> and it's already too late at that point. Um. 
but that's a good point. Like that's a huge part of being in a band that you wouldn't get from being in a basement, you know, and playing by yourself or whatever. You don't realize yeah. that tempo management is like a thing. And people, I mean, li- we, we live in an age where praise and worship bands have click tracks so that the whole band can stay tighter. I mean, when you think about that, like praise and worship bands are supposed, well, I don't want to say they're supposed to be, but like there's a big budget there for making sure that people are playing in time. Um, and if you're not, I know, I know when I was a home musician, I was not playing with a metronome. Like, and honestly, I cannot stress how important that actually is to get your time in order. Cause once you start playing, practicing, like if, if you're learning a solo, slow the metronome down and play the solo as slow as you can. And then just slowly build up that metronome to the, the actual playing beats yeah, per minute. Yeah. And that will, that, that actually teaches you how to play. Yes, it, right. it does. Cause a lot of people don't like, they don't count. They just play by ear. So they just think like, Oh, well it's supposed to be this. And if you yeah. don't play along with the recording or if you don't play with a metronome, you're never actually going to nail it because you don't know how to count it. And a lot of times solos have like the weirdest rhythm stuff going on that it's really difficult to like do that without slowing it down. So what are you looking at? Jim's Jim's trying to buy something right now on the podcast, I believe. No, no, I'm not going to buy it. Are you getting that Achille Monterey? No, no, I'm no, I'm no, uh, I think he's trying to get a, I think he's trying to get a, a, um, a laptop right now. (laughs) I'm actually looking at my specs. (laughs) It's, you know, Windows 10, the one thing that Windows 10 did that kind of ticked me off as a whole, um, moving uh, the ease of what Windows 7 allowed me to get to was just to look at my settings. I just use the uh, Cortana and just type in control panel. That'll save you a lot of time. (laughs) I did. I went to control panel. Device manager. Believe it or not, for some reason, I'm going to have to reboot. When I get done, because what's happening? What's happening is, is Jim's video my, has been my, freezing the entire night, like every every one minute or so. My video's going in and out. My audio is screwing up. I can hear you guys. You're like phasing. In I and can out. hear the fans oh, running in his laptop like full speed right now, um, which I'll probably try to edit out, edit out it's as much as I can. But it's it's been a it's been a trip, man. You gotta find that frequency and just. I'm sh- glad Nick came on to rescue this episode tonight. <laughs> oh. oh, good lord! It's random. Yeah, so. Um, your dog made an appearance. My cat is like all over this thing tonight. Um, and oh, I'm yeah. sure you will hear like Definitely some, some meowing and stuff in the microphone, but, um, there goes my audio again. Hey, what was, what was that website where you could make like a cartoon character of yourself? And then there was like drawings of each guitar and like, you could put your rig down and like the different amps. I don't know. And stuff they had and... like guitar geek for a while, but I don't know if that's, that's yeah. the same thing. Maybe that was it. Guitar geek. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if that's still a thing anymore. Now, now people just post but, pictures of their real pedal board and then the address below it so everybody can come steal it. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. I wish I was. Go on Instagram. Look, you'll see it. Um, I, I, you know, I don't get wrapped up in like showing everybody all the gear I have. Um, I do have my gear friends that like we we're pretty close knit group of people, but I'll show them stuff. But like, I we've talked about the show. I'm not excited about gear anymore, Nick. Not at all. Really? No, not the way, not the way really? I used to be. Like where I'd be like, oh god, I have to have this like right now. You know what? My I bought a head rush, um, like a week ago 
the the stage monitor thing. And I bought it purely out of need. And it was like the first time, even when I bought the Kemper, it wasn't purely out of need. The first thing I bought purely out of need in like five years, probably. Where it's like, I can't hear myself playing with old Stumpy because they have like two wedges and they all use them and there's five members of the band. So I just bought my own wedge. I was like, screw it. Um, and I I have to say, like, that was an enlightening experience to th- stop and think about. I was like, I could buy a nicer one. And I was kind of thinking about it. I was like, maybe you should buy a nicer one. And then I just stopped. And I thought about it. I was like, no, we're not going to do that. I'm going to buy the cheapest piece of crap I could get because – all I need is to be able to hear myself so I can tell when I'm playing in time. And then the, uh, the other component of it is like on down the road, I'll probably go in ears. So right now I am not going to spend a bunch of money on a wedge. It was purely like function motivated, not necessarily like, um, I want yeah, this. I, I've done the in ears thing and it's hit and miss. Um, my, my bearinger has a wireless wireless connection. So you can like run the, those the mixes PA are awesome, by the way. I've used them since we talked about it. So the the wireless signal competes with my in-ear monitor wireless. Really? And yeah, so I can't use them together. And it just went – and like a lot of places, they've got a house PA, so I just use the wedges. I won't insist that they use my in-ears. And if you turn them up too loud, you can ruin your ears. And it's just a – I, I thought they were cool. I, I actually liked them more for practice and rehearsals than I did it for actually a live setting. The reason why they're, but, they'd work out for me, I think, better than probably in your situation because I play with tracks. And definitely. so, like, it's just like putting headphones on. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But uh, my my most recent purchase was a, a Paul Stanley uh, uh, Ibanez. And I've been on the Sweetwater waiting list for over a year. I was going to say, you were looking I, for that at GearFest last year. Yeah, my 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 Sweetwater rep could not find one. And he said, well, if I paid for it, that they would look for one a little bit harder for me, but it would still on back order. So um, I did a random search, Google search, because sometimes I think I can find one like used on Guitar Center's website. But um, I saw a used one open box from Musician's Friend. And I was looking at it online and I'm like, well, if it was an open box because it was a return or open box because it was a scratch and dent, I didn't know. So I called him and I had never talked to this dude on Musician's Friends site or on the phone before. And I just said, look, dude, what's the difference between me ordering it over the phone with you right now or ordering it on the website? I'm like, are there any extra discounts? What's your bottom dollar? Like it's open box. And I ended up getting like another like 140 bucks off of the open box price. So I'm like, all right, I can't. I can't say no to that. And like I said, it's it's gear I can make money with. I can yep. gig with it. So it's a no-brainer. I'm going to pull the trigger off. Yeah, and I, I think... I think- wait, wait, wait. Wait on that. Give me a second. Ace Frehley Ibanez Destroyer? No. The Destroyer is an explorer shape. No, the Paul Stanley Iceman. Oh, Paul Stanley Iceman. PS120. That guitar... You you made a comment about it though being like the crappiest guitar you bought in a while. It was the is the crappiest nine hundred dollar yeah, guitar yeah. I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Like you pay nine hundred dollars for a, like and I obviously didn't pay that, but it was um, it was which one? PS one? One twenty. Uh yeah, PS one twenty. Okay. I uh is the eight yeah, eight ninety nine is the, the going rate. For I those. you know, and and that's funny that you say that like eight hundred dollar that eight hundred dollar guitar that's kind of crappy, like I've seen when I when we started this show, 
we we really strongly felt that like they're between five hundred and seven hundred fifty five hundred and seven hundred fifty dollars. You can get a gigawood guitar that's pretty decent, and I think that's actually moved up while we've been doing this show. Like I really feel like seven hundred fifty to a thousand is now where we're at. It went up two hundred fifty yeah, well, bucks in like the three years we've been doing this show. I was critical of it out of the box, so the truss rod was over a turn too tight, and the um. And the, the bridge was over a turn too low. Like it was not set up. I'm pretty confident that if I would have bought it from Sweetwater, they would have set it up. So it would have played good right on the box. Sweetwater uh, says they don't it, do setups. They You have to pay extra for that. Okay. Then it must have just been the um, the, the St. Vincent that I bought was, was set they're up pretty nice. They're supposed to, yeah, they're supposed to do like they do an uh, inspection. 60-point check. Yeah. yeah. Which okay. is still for things like ding but, frets. Uh, yeah. You know, I hate, to, I hate to tell you this, but we're supposed to do that too, so but we just don't make it. Oh, don't get me started on guitar center luthiers. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you don't have enough it, time for me. To, it really to depends on where you are. I I will give you that. It, it depends yeah. on what time. Every of day. store is different. So, so. eight ninety nine, right? Yeah, eight ninety nine. So I can lock inlays, set neck, uh, Duncan fifty nine in the neck, uh, SH five in the bridge, like the custom five in the bridge. Came with yep. like, I mean, I might yep. not even switch those pickups out. I wind pickups. ART one, ART one bridge. Uh, yep, acrylic block. Bold, um, yep. in so I took on. the bridge off already. <laughs> I put a seventies era harmonica bridge. Yeah, on there, I think like what Paul Stanley actually yeah. had. Oh, you've already bought it? Yeah, he bought one a while ago. Jim, where you been? Oh, yeah. I thought you. I thought you said you were getting. No, he- yeah, open box. It was an open box item. My musician's friend. Yeah, he got it. He got it a couple. So weeks I, back. I think I got it for like six hundred and forty bucks. Yeah, or it was something some like that. Ridiculous deal because I saw a, it and I was like, I really? But it, it's super heavy. The, the The neck is really thick. Um, the tuners are not Paul Stanley accurate, so I'm gonna have to take the the tuners <laughs> off of it and put the actual yep. curl curl button tuners. Like I want it to be accurate. Kiss fans are super detail oriented. Oh yes. Like, so when I play it, I want them to think that it's not just the the replica signature model. I want them to think that it's so the real gonna, deal. What do you do about the beard? Because you know Paul Stanley was clean shaven. So oh, I know that. So a lot of times when we play, I'll just say I'm a roadie. I'll just set set the stage up, do sound check with the beard on. Yeah. When it's time to go in the back into makeup, I'll shave it off. Really. Into makeup, yeah. So for those of you who can't see me, of course, this yeah, is he's pretty full bearded right now. Yeah, uh, unless it's gig day, I don't shave. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I do Dave Grohl and a Foo Fighters tribute as well, and I need yeah. I need a beard for that. So yeah. you'd be very strategic about when I schedule my gigs. <laughs> yeah, <that's good. laughs> it, it's right. fun. It's fun. To, it's fun to fool All people right, on too. On the subject of uh, customizing guitars to match the exact guitar of somebody else. I want to get um I want to get an Ibanez gem, the the seven VP or whatever like the really expensive one, and then I want to I want to uh, scallop the entire fretboard, and then and then I want to yeah. I want to beat the hell out of it with chains, and then I want to take and put the like the flow three with a with a um uh like a sharpie on there so I can have exactly Steve Vai's guitar. Not that anybody will actually care, but. <laughs> It'll it'll feel good. It'll yeah, really enjoy. Well, there'll actually, be one because I'm not really that into hero worship. So there'll be one person that's going to come up to you. Oh man, that it's looks just, just like, like Flow Three. Like what the hell? 
Like, and it's wow. you see how specific I got to. I didn't use like Flow One or Two. I didn't use Evo. Yeah. I did like Flow Three, some random new guitar he's had for a couple of years. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> 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 One of these days, I'm going to do the Dave Gilmore thing. I'll do the EMGs. There's an '87 USA Strat for sale around my area here for like 800 bucks, yeah. and it's all all stock. And it's like David Gilmore likes the eighty, the 1987 USA Strat Necks. Yep, um, that's what he prefers. But it's all black, black pickguard, maple board. I'm like, hmm, David Gilmore. That's kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I see that. And there's one here. I've heard the 1987 yeah, neck thing before, and it just cracks me up because I'm like, of all the years, 1987 for some weird freaking reason. Um, you know, he grew up in like the time where you could get 59 st- or you know 57 Strats and stuff. And he prefers an 87. Like, what? Um, That's crazy. I'd love to know what your his pickups are, though. That would be that would be kind of entertaining. Um, not that that really matters all that much because their pickups were wildly inconsistent. Yeah. Probably like 1993 EMGs yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. So that's the for the Red Strat. Yeah, he used the EMGs. But like before he was using um, and I've heard it said that like he was using 61s and 62s for for the uh, the black strat and uh now like i've heard other varying reports like he had demarzios put in it at some point or like they were noiseless demarzios i'm like what i yeah. ca- i can't imagine but um you know whatever that's something i'd like to get from you at some point nick i wanted you to make me a set of noiseless pickups yeah, I'll wind you a dummy coil and I'll wind you three strat pickups and you can figure out how to wind. Well, it I can all figure the it. dummy coil part out. I already know how that works. Just the question is, can I solder it all up? Because uh, we we've already talked about how poor my soldering skills are. Mine are just slow. Yeah, it's slow. Minor, minor. Mine need lots of help. I'm actually signing up for a pedal building class. Um, I'm going to go build a Hermita Zen drive, and. Uh, hopefully get some time behind the iron so that I don't look like a complete idiot when I do this stuff anymore. Um, yeah. I can say I, I really enjoyed modding my, my PV classic 30. I was trying to get 300 bucks out of it and I, I wasn't selling it. And it's one of those like blue collar boutique amps on a budget. I found the, it's called blue, blue guitar mod yep. or something like that. Yeah. And um, I, I picked out what I wanted to do. I watched some videos on how to drain the cap yep. so I wouldn't kill myself. And I figure if I can solder pickups, I can do this. And it was a noticeable difference. And I was really impressed. I was really proud of what I could do. And now I'm kind of into, um, you know, like, I think I could build an amp. Now. I have an amp it, for you it's, to build. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We might, we might like, have a project together. Maybe we'll sit down and we'll build an amp together. Like, you could build one and I'll build one. And we'll build the same one at the same time. It's uses better. It, Bruce Ignator does um, amp building kit. Uh, he's workshops. over in your, your neck of the woods, isn't he? Yeah, he's a Michigander. That yeah. might be worth uh, taking the plane trip over there. But the uh, Mojo Tone kits are super cool. Like if you go to Mojo Tone site, they've got amp kits, and um, you can do like a one watt Marshall, yeah. where you just like crank it up, and um, they've got the Tweed Deluxes. Yeah, I've looked at their kits many times, and it's all nicely laid out, nice, you know. I- like straightforward and I can definitely see myself this year getting a Tweed Deluxe kit and building a 5E3 Deluxe. Um, and then I have another project I'd like to embark on that I'm completely batshit crazy and I have no business getting involved in, but I, I really want to do it anyway. 
which is I want to build a training rack. And I've heard that I'm terrible. Uh, um, I would probably buy their kit, but I might sub transformers from somebody else. Um, but I've heard that like that circuit is deceptively simple as it looks on paper. Like if you put a wire in there and it's a half inch longer, the thing will oscillate. Like it's, it's just, you just have to be really meticulous about how you put it together and the construction of it's just as important as, as the components. So uh, I really wanted to make the, uh, the reverb tank. So it's just its own, it almost looks like a guitar head, but it's a, like the fender yeah. reverb tank. It's kind of like the surfing bear. And I ended up, yeah, I, I ended up getting a, uh, one from fender. Uh, and the reissue. one you have sounds uh, great. Did you mod it? I, I, I thought it. you told us you modded it. Yeah, and then I found out that they were putting um, six V six yeah. tubes in it. In sixty three, they didn't use six V six tubes; they just use them now because they're more common. But back in the sixties, they used a six K six. What's the the beauty about that is that they use the same plug as the six V six. They use the same energy as the six V six, and you can get the six K six tube on eBay for like five bucks a tube. So what did I do? I want to eBay bought two of them just in case one of them failed. New old stock, like old stuff, and plugged it right in. And guess what? You hear different. Yeah, yours sounds amazing. Much better than the other ones I've heard. Which uh, My brother has an original 63, and I would take the Pepsi Challenge between the reissue that I modded and the, um, and the original. We need to get up day. to your brother's because he's got all that gear and stuff up there. I've been, I've been contemplating. I'm like, Tom, <laughs> I'm inside. Like, yeah. When we get together. We need summit. We need to do an episode up there. Well, yeah, you got to do here first. I know. I got to go there. there first, and I, I really am intending to do that. Um, it's just like right now, especially now that my wife has travel benefit, I can just jump on a plane. It's like dirt simple <laughs> to get over there. Um, but I have to. I so if I if I do that, I have to come over there as a friend. It can't be a business issue. So there's like a whole thing on that that I have to be careful about what I can do. Oh yeah, purely we're we're friends. I know. Um, <laughs> I give him the big thumbs up and it wasn't a middle finger. Like, you know, when we count off the episode, um, so yeah, we're getting, we're hitting our hour 51 minutes. I think it's time to wrap yep. it up. Gentlemen. You're right. And hey, Nick, do you want to plug anything? You got, you got stuff to talk about tonight or are you just being cool? Um, no, just uh great lakes guitar pickups on Facebook. If you haven't liked the page yet, um, yeah, go ahead and do it. What if are you, you waiting for? If you haven't heard. If you haven't heard the spiel, I mean, you've got a tone in your head and you've got a guitar that sounds a certain way. If you want to get those to be closer to the same thing, talk to me and I can help you out without making you go. Broke. Yeah, I, and he's being serious. <laughs> yeah, I want to say that one of my customers came in. I had recommended Nick's, uh, Nick's pickups. He called Nick and my customer said to me, he said I, he could not believe how many questions and how well you dug into him. So he was really, really impressed. He, so I, I will just say that, that he knew that you knew exactly what he wanted. Yeah, it's a cool That's process. Cool. And I've got I've had several sets of Nick's pickups um, and they've all been good. And actually, now that we've had more go through our hands, um, I mean, everything I've played that you've done has been great. So I can't help but plug your brand, even if you weren't a sponsor of the show. Um but yeah, so, uh, and then of course we're doing gear fest. So, you know, um, yep. I will get the information out to those who are interested. If you are interested 
and you are not on the list because I actually have a running list in, in a Facebook group, um, join our Facebook group, uh, which is um, facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist. And then uh, search for GearFest. We actually have a topic in the group. And if you search for GearFest, you will find the, um, the announcement post. And and or you can message me directly in the group and I'll take care of you. I'll get make sure you get on the list. But uh, there is an announcement post which has additional details in it, so it's worth reading through. Um, and then uh, that's it. So, gentlemen, I have been David. I've been Jim. I've been Nick from Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. And tonight we've all been practical guitarists. <laughs>